We are into the crunch time of the competition with the main round starting. We've seen four games with the four winners of the initial groups, showing that they really deserve to win those groups. Who impressed you the most, Chris? This isn't even a question. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's very clear. I mean, Norway have been the most impressive team of the evening. And is there any argument about that? Or is the fact that Croatia got even better somehow and actually looked like a team that belong at this level even more impressive? After the first 15 minutes of the Croatia-Romania game, I was thinking, okay, maybe now Croatia are starting to run out of run out of speed a little bit. And then all of a sudden they had a timeout. And then Relissa Kalaus came back on and just, they looked like a completely different team all of a sudden. The intensity just went up through the roof and they started to play really, really well then. And they never really looked back from that. And Romania looked pretty good for the first few minutes. And I thought this was, this was really their game. And after that, just their, the Croatian defence is so annoying it must be so annoying to play against because they're just really up in your face there's nothing that there's definitely nothing that beautiful about it but they're just putting hands feet and everything in the way not feet but (laughs) they're putting hands getting up in your grill and they won't be winning any Oscars for the most beautiful handball of the tournament but it's definitely very effective I think it's a good point uh, that you mentioned about Carlos coming in and it's interesting that Two of the best players for Croatia so far have been their left back, which is either Mitrovic or Kalas. And they've been splitting time. And it really, they're two completely different styles where Mitrovic is a powerful shooter who uses her size to get a shot away anytime. And then Kalas is just pure power, speed, dynamic action. And that they can, at the start, actually the only goals they were getting were through Mitrovic. But they weren't playing as well and they were able to just change gear, which is really impressive. I think that's the most impressive part. I I really thought that, okay, again, I was doubting Croatia. Again, I was thinking, okay, finally, they're in the main round. They're going to lose a bit of power. But they were able to switch gear. And that's the type of thing that champions do. And I'm not getting mm. too carried away, but it, <laughs> <Woo>! is, <laughs> it that's a skill we're going from underestimate to overestimating. Oh my God. I think Camilla Mitrovic's style of play kind of suited the Romanians' defense. And then you bring in Larissa Kalaus, and that just was like pretty much the opposite. You know, Mitrovic is kind of quite. Yeah, I mean, she's she's so tall. I mean, how could she be really that lightning fast? But it's a slower type of game you have to play with her. And then uh, Kalaus comes in. It's a lot of standing shots. You don't know where the shots are going to come from. And then Romania kind of just ran out of ideas, basically. And then the amount of errors that players like really reliable players like Niagu and Laszlo were having just dropping the ball 
hitting off their stomach, hitting their feet. It was just, it was, it was, it was crazy to see that. I think Niago is obviously going to be very disappointed with her. I think with her overall performance over the whole tournament, she wasn't at the same level that, that we've that we've seen her in, in the past. So, and the next game for Croatia is, of course, Norway, and that's that's going to be an insanely difficult challenge. As we saw in their game against the Netherlands, Norway didn't need to switch gear because they were in fifth gear the whole time and just steamrolled that Netherlands team who barely got out of first gear, I think. the uh, I think the Netherlands have been the most disappointing team in this tournament because I was looking at this, you know, Netherlands and Norway have had this rivalry for a long while and maybe it's been a bit one-sided in terms of Norway getting the victory over the last few years but the Netherlands have kind of come in and shown that they can at least put it up to them and they just didn't they didn't do anything they were absolutely clueless in attack at times I, I think they in the first half especially out of kind of eight attacks in a row five of them were just failed passes to the line because they just had no idea what to do and from those five passes to the line Norway just ran away with it yeah I'm I'm more disappointed in the way the Netherlands played than impressed by Norway despite the fact that Norway were fantastic for me it just looks like I mean I've said it before that the Dutch backcourt is kind of they don't really know who they are at the moment it feels like it's in total transition with the loss of Estevan Pullman. She really tied that all together really nicely. And then you look at players like Abing and Abing's best when you're giving her, you've a really good playmaker who gives her the ball at the right moment. She can take it on at speed. That's when, that's when she plays her best. You know, when you have a, when you have a good tricky center back who can deliver the ball like that, open up some space. And then Abing is incredible, but she didn't get the same supply or she's not getting the same supply uh, of balls that she would be used to and it just looks very the whole thing looks very disjointed yeah they have a lot of young players coming into the side as well and they're going to need time to to to, to grow into the team but it, it does feel like a team in transition yeah and and you used the phrase earlier this evening when we were talking about the game one-dimensional and they were absolutely that their whole attack was just trying to shoot over the center with Abing or Dulfer, who has had a good tournament. But again, it meant that Norway figured them out straight away or they were already prepared for them. They packed that center of defense and left the space between the wings and the number two defender. They, they left huge gaps there, knowing that the Netherlands were just not going to go outside in their attack they're always going to go into the middle and they just made it so easy for Norway to completely stump them and I don't know maybe part of it is players but also some blame has to fall on Mayonad there where he didn't change the game plan through you know they kept attacking in the middle they were a little bit better um in the second half but still the, the game was over I'm not sure how much blame you can put on him really because you look at the Norwegian squad and I mean just the depth there even just just on one position like the line I, I'm not sure how the Dutch squad could compete like that with so many young players coming in there and missing some of their best players also so like it's, I mean it's a bit much maybe to put too much blame on him at the moment I think it's just a it's an unfortunate situation for the Dutch team I think they're just and also just they're not playing very well I think most of the players there won't be happy with their 
performance over the whole tournament. But the Norwegian team, it just... I was thinking earlier, what's their worst position? <laughs> they don't, they, what would you say is their worst position? Um, the right wing. That's what I was thinking too, but even that. And even that is <laughs> is very good. Yeah, it's it's hard to see a, a proper weakness in there. And, and just going back to the one weakness I think they had in defense, Norway was, as Alex said, on the outside of the, the number twos there and then going out to the wings. When they played the ball out to the wings, they were scoring those opportunities for the most part. I think that is maybe Katrina Lunda's weakest area as well. And there wasn't much defending happening on that side. So when the balls did go out to the wing, they took full advantage of that. And on the few occasions where they had set plays to to go between one and two, uh, either with the winger coming around or the, the backcourt going through, uh, it worked as well. But I reckon on that situation in a game like that, when they find themselves all of a sudden seven or eight goals down, in the, like, or it was five or six goals down in the first half, that it goes back to the old kind of idea that players will revert to type when they get stressed, that instead of doing the smarter things in attack, they're going to the middle because that's what you used to do when you were 12, year, 12 years old. You'd get as close to the goal as possible and shoot. And I think handball players and all sports people have revert to their bad habits in situations like that. And I think that was maybe a bit of what happened because, yeah, you could hear in the timeout what Mayanad was saying. Like in the first, I was like, stop passing the ball to the line. It's not working. <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay guys just stop doing that giving them the situations to work with and um the demeanor in that first half was just so funny because you have Maya not stressing out like saying i know how to do this i we did it last year we know how to beat them why isn't it happening and then toria her guys and it's just the most relaxed guy in the world so it's like i've got the best team in the world everything is great why do you ask about the weakest position uh, in the Norway team because I was watching it I was thinking okay where if if I was a coach and I was watching this Norway team play where would you even start to think about exploiting exploiting them you know um, and you look at players who didn't play well today I mean I think Veronica Christensen won from six I think it's not a really a game to remember but it didn't matter at all Steen Oftada was brilliant in certain moments and then throwing the ball away and pulling people to the ground and but they just have so many people that they can just bring in. And like someone like Maul and Anna didn't even play today at all. She just stayed on the bench for the whole game. And then Henny Raystat has turned into an absolute incredible player. So it's just, it's very difficult to see what the keys to success would be against a team like Norway. A lot, like outrun them? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so hard to think of a, a weakness to exploit in that team because it's all centered around the defense, I feel. The way he's built this squad is defense first and the attack is almost going to take care of itself and I think two good examples of that are uh, Sana Solberg as one of the left wingers with Camilla Heron when she's in she's playing at number two so she's playing uh, in the left back position of defense because she's a strong defender which means Stina Oftedal can play on the wing in defense and kind of get out of the way there and just work in transition and it's the same on the other side of the the court on the right hand side because Stina Skogrand is a right back by trade. She's been turned into a, a right wing for this tournament, but can go number two in defense and a great defender, which means you can also have Nora Merck on the right wing in defense. So you're putting those two amazing attackers on the wings, making the uh, the rest of the team work really hard in the center of defense, which is why I think, as Alex said, there's the gaps on the outside of those number twos because they're so center focused. 
And when it works in defense, they get all these easy goals through fast breaks and then just the magic of the likes of Oftedal and Merck. The only weakness I've seen so far has been maybe that Norway have been a bit sloppy. And uh, Brian, you mentioned Stina Oftedal. And I don't think Stina Oftedal has been as good as she can be yet, let's say, because she has been amazing, but her, let's say, scoreline today really gives an idea of the way the kind of variance in her play throughout the tournament as well so she scored five goals got five assists but also had five turnovers and i think a team as a team norway do they play so fast in attack that sometimes they do just drop the ball that they sometimes make a bad pass and a team can potentially take advantage of that if they really push the second wave fast break if they really like something that russia have been doing uh, in this tournament mainly because they're not fully confident in their set attack because it's such a, a new back line they've really focused on trying to push the second second wave fast break as much as possible and i think if you can do that to take advantage of norway's errors that happen and you know norway had 10 technical faults or 10 turnovers in that game that's 10 potential fast break goals and a huge turnaround in the game and if you can take advantage of that then norway can be rattled today netherlands didn't do that um and i don't expect norway to continue to make so many turnovers and mistakes but if a team gets that opportunity, they just have to take it. They have to push the pace. So I think outrunning them, as difficult as it is, because it is a, a large squad, they're all extremely athletic, but pushing the pace might be the only way to beat Norway. I don't think that's part of Croatia's game, really, is it? Pushing the pace that hard. I can't. <laughs> I somehow can't see Croatia doing that. that I can't. I wouldn't see that be their approach anyway. Roughhousing them, maybe. We'll find out on Saturday when the top two teams face off Croatia and Norway, which may open up Group 2 a little bit. At the moment, it's looking a bit lopsided with Norway and Croatia out in front on six points. But Netherlands, Germany and Hungary could all technically still have a say in this. And uh, Hungary playing Germany on Saturday as well, which will be, it's basically like a knockout game for Hungary and Germany. So that will be quite interesting. And now it's the perfect time, I think, for us to move to our guests for today. I sat down with Hungarian Greta Marton and Doroteu Falovegi, and I talked to them about being some of the younger players in the squad. They're also roommates, friends, and both of them under-20 world champions. So let's get into it. How would you summarize the, the tournament for, from your perspective? so far i feel like there were a lot of surprises in our group uh, we started with croatia we we felt like we have to win this game but unfortunately we lost and uh, croatia is going really good so far so we are really we are having mixed feelings about this game we could beat serbia with 12 goals which gave us a lot of strength, but uh, 
we couldn't beat the Dutch girls, which uh, left us with zero point in the main round. But we're really happy to be in the main round and to be able to play with these uh, wonderful teams. It was announced a while ago that you have two head coaches, so both Gabors, the two Gabors. What has it been like? Because it's quite unusual nowadays to have two head coaches. I think at youth level, it's a lot more common. But at senior level, it's not that common. How does it work between between both of them? I think the work with them is uh, really good because we have known them for um, several years now. And uh, I think uh, they can help each other and they can also help us to to be the best here. So I think it's really good. Yeah, they're. I think they're a um, good combination. One is taking care of the defense, one is uh, the attack, but of course they, he, he, they try to cooperate and help each it's, other. Gabor Dani does the attack, is it? Or Gabor Dani is uh, the defense. Oh, defense, okay. Yes. Okay. But as Grady said, almost everyone from the team has worked with them before in yeah. the club, so we know how they work and what uh, they requi- require. Yeah, because both of you have bo- played for both of them. Uh, I have. Oh, do you have played for both of them? You've only played at FTC? Yes. That's correct, okay. So that must have been a bit comforting for you two then as well. must be nice to have a familiar face on the bench for the national team as well. Yeah, that's true, especially because we are young players and I think these uh, circumstances really count for us that we know the coaches and we know what they want from us and uh, they also know what to expect from us and we don't have this big pressure on us that I really have to show myself now for the coaches because they already know us. Anita Gorbitz, she came in as, I think officially as a a counsellor on the team, but it's kind of like an assistant coach job, is it? Or what's her role in the team? I think uh, her role is everything. So we can always ask her if um, something goes wrong. So for me, especially, is really important because um, she's a role model for me and uh, I really look up for her. I think she has a really important role. That's that's a lot of big personalities when it comes to coaching. The two coaches, two Gabors and Anita... That's uh, there's never any conflict of how you should do things or the way things should be done properly. It's all smooth sailing. Yeah, I feel like and uh, Anita Gerbitz, she's always standing behind the team. She's always representing what's best for the girls. Sometimes we hear some piece of the conversations and I don't know, it's just an example. The two Gabors feel like we need to train more between the games or we need something and uh, Gerbitz is the one who's saying no it's enough the girls need some rest they need some free time and it's so good to have her with us so she's like your representative almost in a way yeah yeah that's that's good that's a good representative to have as well the best yeah (laughs) she knows what she's talking about so you talked there about the girls need more rest what what do you do here when you're resting because this isn't like other tournaments Mm, we often play uh, board games and uh and we try to talk to each other because I think it's um, it's really hard to be in the bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, we, of course, miss uh, fresh air, but... Uh, <laughs> we're opening the window. <laughs> <laughs> Number one activity in the yes. bubble. Who'll, who'll open the window today? 
Yeah, this yeah. is right. <laughs> but we are uh, not complaining. Um, we are having good time. We even got uh, puzzles, yes, which we are working on. <laughs> like jigsaw puzzles. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, classic yeah. puzzles, okay. and we are working on with small teams every night. Different two girls are coming in the room and uh, offer they're offering their help. Oh, so. nice, nice. Actually, it's going better living in a bubble that we expected. Yeah, maybe you'll miss it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so if we look back then at the at, at the Hungarian public, do you feel there's a, there's a pressure coming from the Hungarian public to perform at these tournaments, or what are the what's the feeling coming back from home? I think we have a kind of pressure, but we try to concentrate to our um, things. We try to show our best, and we don't even care about the feeling and um, the pressure from home. I feel public is public and press is press. That's what they do. They try to uh, put pressure on us and um, they're, of course, following our um, results, but they are not here. They don't know how we do things, how we feel. That's why we try to really handle these things how we should. Because both of you won a, a junior world championship in 2018. Why do you think... The Hungarian youth teams are so successful, and it's, it doesn't seem to translate yet to the national team. Would you? Because you, you have very good experience with that you've played in those successful youth teams, and now you're in the senior team. So I think you've kind of unique insight into that. Yeah, that's right. It was hard, uh, even when we were if we were younger. We had a lot of um, European Championship and Youth uh, World Championship, but we weren't always successful. Mm. So I feel like these years that we have behind us, the same concept, we've been working with different coaches, but they always wanted the same from us. They didn't change the tactics so much, the attitude they wanted. So really, really, we really um, could adapt to these things. And in the end, to our last ever championship, we could be the best and this gave us so much energy to be here. And we know we have to be patient because there's no guarantee you were successful as a youth player. You will be immediately successful uh, here with the seniors. But we are here and support each other. I think we are eight of us yes. here from that team. Yeah. And... We know we have to be patient and the best is yet to come. So does it feel like this team now at the moment is still, I mean, you said there's eight of them from that, from that title. So it still feels like a team, a young team or a team still in transition. Is that, is that what it feels like? Still finding its way a little bit? I think the both. Both, yeah. So sometimes we still feel this young vibe um between each other but we know we can't live in the past we have to adapt and we have to grow up to these new situations yes when i was in hungary at the last underage euro i was talking to some people who uh, are in hungarian handball media and they were saying that basically that there's an excellent system for winning youth titles in Hungary so the up until the youth title it's really really excellent but development after that maybe could be better what, what do you think when you hear some, someone say something like that I, it's not my, my opinion now but that was someone 
unnamed, <laughs> who said that. Do you think that there could be more support there for development after these youth titles for players like you two? I think it's really hard because to win senior titles, you need the best players from any nation. And these players have experience and uh, you can win um, junior titles, but you have almost no experience from this high level. You haven't almost played in the first league in Hungarian league. Then I almost not there to mention Champions League or uh, matches um, against national teams. So, of course, it's a nice theory that... Uh, there should be a better system to improve these uh, talented young athletes. But um, when it comes to real life, it's a really hard job because these players, we need years. And I know it's hard for the media to accept this and uh, the public and, of course, the coaches because there are maybe not so nice medals and results that we have in uh when we were younger, but we really need experience and we really need time. And it's, this is also hard for us. It's not just easy to say, but this is how we can get better and we can really go through those uh, situations and live them and learn from them. Yeah. I mean, I think what you said there, that it's, it is a really tough thing to, to be at the top and to stay at the top. And even you look at a game like the Dutch losing to Norway and they're, they're world champions. And even they can get blown out of the water really quickly. A few changes and all of a sudden it all falls apart. So it's really a very, very difficult thing to stay at the top or to get to the top in the first place. So, well, fingers crossed you get there. But you mentioned Croatia earlier, the game with Croatia. Um, you've played against them. And I think for a lot of people, it's a bit of a mystery almost from the outside how Croatia are doing so well game after game. You felt it. You were on the court with them. What, what did it feel like playing against them? They fight it like hell. And uh, they really wanted to win this game against us. I don't remember, but they tried to slow down their attack. And uh, I think we couldn't play our best game. So maybe that was the main problem. I think they were also young. Yeah, we didn't know actually what to expect against them. We didn't have so many games and cuts from them. And they really surprised us. Yeah, they seemed to be able to surprise Everyone, yes. every game, which is unusual. This sort of surprise package. And now then, your next game is against Germany. Without giving any secrets away, what do you expect from the from the Germany game? I feel like for ourselves, for our feeling, we really need to come together as a team again. Because after the, the Netherlands game, I feel like we were really uh, disappointed. Because we were close. Of course, we... We've had, had some days to get through this game and we are training now, we are preparing now for the German team. So we really like to beat them and uh, bring this power uh, together with us for the main round. So the two of you are friends outside of being in the national team, I heard. Is that true? Yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> no would have been very awkward if you said no yes. there. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so do you provide each other with a lot of support after games and... Do you kind of recap what happened and or how does it work when a game is finished and you go home to your or come back to the bubble and go into go to the room? Do you kind of recap a lot or do you more like turn some music on, forget about it, let's make some jigsaw puzzles? What's your normal routine? No, we always talk about the things 
what we did during the games. And uh, I think it's really important because she's only one year older than me, but she can help me a lot because I think I need this. And how does she help you? She always knows what to say. She's so clever. <laughs> and we are really honest with each other. Okay, yeah. I think that's uh, how we work. So good. So like if someone really didn't play well, you might be able to say it to them? Yeah, like point to those um, situations. She or me can improve, can really help us because we are not, we're never blaming the other one. We're just trying to help and yeah, we watch a lot of videos together because we are on the same position, just one on the other side. So actually the situations are the same for us. So we can help each other. And there's no stress about someone being messy in the room or anything like that? She is messy, <laughs> messy, yes. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> yes. Does it ever cause conflict? Sometimes we have, but <laughs> living in the bubble, yeah, if we count the um, Hungarian training camp together, it's been three weeks. Three weeks now. Yes. Now. You even have conflict with your best friends. So. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. We it's are, okay. We are handling <laughs> <laughs> Well, perfect. Thanks very much. Now you can go for your breakfast. Thank Thanks you. for taking time out today and then best of luck for the next game. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. In Group 1, we had wins for Russia over Montenegro just by one goal, though. Uh, Montenegro once again in the lead in the second half and letting it slip in what has to be the most painful championship for them of all time. And also a one-goal game between France and Spain, with France winning 26-25. That means that France and Russia are top of their group, similarly to Group 2, on six points, with Denmark on two, Sweden on one. Spain are now out of the running for the semifinals on one point, as are Montenegro on zero. Two super close games here. What did you make of the end game between France and Spain, Alex? Because it seemed like... Once again, the final 15 minutes is when Spain come to life. Yeah, I think if a handball game was 70 minutes, Spain would be top of that main group one. They would be absolutely rocking through this competition because for some reason, they, they begin to play in the last 15 minutes. They start the, to push the pace way too late. It's almost like they realize late in the game that oh hold on actually i think we're better than these guys and then start to start to play so it's it's an must be an incredibly frustrating tournament for spain as a whole you know it, it looked like a foregone conclusion after the first half france were up 16 10 you know it was France playing quite well, again, really rotating that squad. Goals and main play was really spread out across the whole French team. And maybe that rotation of players got in the way and allowed Spain to come into it. But realistically, I think it all lies with Spain and them turning on the switch. And they almost they almost grabbed a draw at the very, very end. They were two goals down with less than two minutes left. They got a turnover and then they were, you know, about two inches of a hand away from getting a steal with five seconds left that would have leveled the game for them. 
it must be incredibly tough for Spain, but France looking good. Yeah, I mean, uh, besides that, they had a, a penalty miss as well with Carmen Martin. The only shot she missed, she had a great game again, nine goals out of 10 shots. That was a penalty towards the end, saved by Lenor. Well, you said it, I don't know if it was a bit in jest, Alex, about Croatia showing the form of a championship team. I think this is what France and Russia are doing at the moment, squeaking through these games, one goal victories, and you need those kind of results as well on your way to a title. Definitely. and But at the same time, France were in control um, for most of the game. I, I would say it was maybe the last eight minutes where they lost control, but then they were able to, when Spain got within one goal, France put the foot down again and stretch the gap and realistically Spain were never going to close it in the last minute so they they still have a they always have a switch that they can call on one of their stars to just get get a goal or two and that seems to be really working for them so on Friday night we have a top of the table clash in group one where Russia are going to face France and we have a Scandinavian derby between Denmark and Sweden, which, similar to the game between Hungary and Germany, is a bit of a knockout match for the two Scandi sides. Now, it was only a couple of days ago that we fancied Denmark as being proper semi-final contenders. Now they've got to beat Sweden to stay alive. Do they come into this as favourites? No, I, I think there's still strong favourites here. They weren't a million miles away from France at the same time. I think maybe... In hindsight, we maybe expected a razor close game and we didn't have that. And I think then we were maybe maybe let down. But look, I think they've just a lot more ammunition uh, in attack than Sweden would have. I just think they their system in attack just seems a lot more developed. And I think Sweden seemed to struggle a little bit. And we saw that when Sweden played against Russia. We saw Torleif Stottir. I mean, she scored some great goals. I think she scored six against Russia. But... It was just moments of individual brilliance rather than an attack that was kind of well put together. So I'd still fancy Denmark. I think they have a lot more ammunition. Do you think we'll see the old Bella Gulden in this tournament? And do you think that could be the key to Sweden's success? I think Chris said it before. I think she's turned into a little bit of a different player than she used to be. I think she's a lot more like a playmaker now rather than that real goal goal getter of a, of a centre-back. So I'm not sure we'll see that style of Abella Gulden again in this tournament. We might in the future at some stage, but since she's come back, she seems to be a different style of player, more kind of uh, in setting people up uh, rather than um, like like we've seen her with the final four when she won with CSM Bucharesti when she was just tearing through defenses. But do you think that Sweden need that old version of Bella Gulden to really compete? Or do you think that they can take the step into the semi-final with the weapons they have around her. If Bellicle then shows the kind of form that she's shown with Brest this season, uh, particularly in the Champions League, which I've seen uh, a fair bit of her in action in, they can do it. And they uh, they do have, you know, very young, a bit raw talent. You have like Melissa Petren, who has a big shot on her, uh, Thorleif Sauter, who has a huge shot on her, and Nina Dano as well, the right back. So they have this backcourt power, they have two incredible line players as well. I think the issue, particularly with the Danes, is that they know how Bella plays now. And they know that she might not be able to break through or score 10 meter shots like she used to. And so I think she has to show a little more desire to to throw herself in against the defense and, and try and break through herself a few times just to make them think a little bit more. 
because when she's just playing the playmaker role, I think teams will back off and say, okay, try and find the line player. We've got two people on her because you know you're not going to shoot from nine meters. And so maybe they need a bit of a mix there. And I think that's where Melissa Petrand, the other playmaker, is quite a good player to mix up with because she is all action. She's very fast and she's willing to shoot. So if they can find the right balance there between the two of them to, um, and potentially also bring in Yamina Roberts a bit more because she is a very dynamic left back as well. And she was showing some nice playmaker skills in the last game against Russia. So I think they definitely have the weapons, but I think everything has to go right for them for against Denmark or Denmark need to have a disastrous game. And a lot of pressure on Denmark and Sweden here because, it, as you said, it's a knockout. And then we have the top of the table clash in Group 1 on Friday night between Russia and France. This is super exciting. Two teams that we're considering as the main contenders for the title, except for Norway. But two teams that are being pushed very hard in recent games and not being overly dominant. This could be a breakout game for one of them. Who will it be? When we watched the France-Denmark game, we saw two teams with the two best defences in the tournament. And we knew it was going to be a really low-scoring game, and it was. And we know that France have this incredible fixed defence. And you touched on it earlier, Alex, about Russia being maybe not as confident when they have to set up their plays and attack. Therefore, they're pushing the fast break game so, so much. So you'd have to think that that goes in France's favour a little bit. But France have, play, have played three games in four days, and, for, and Russia have only played two. So it's, a, it's an interesting battle in that regard. Are, are Russia going to be a little bit fresher, but then France might have the advantage when it comes down to, to set uh, defensive plays? It's, it's, a, it's a very hard one for me to call, and I, I couldn't really tell you. I think it has a draw written all over it. To be honest, I, I'm leaning towards France on this one because, because of their performance against Denmark, where they really showed their class and broke away and also that's what they did against Spain as well the the tough game against Spain they also yeah showed their class pulled away and then got a little bit complacent towards the end of the game but we've seen France decide to win games continually while Russia have just kind of they happen to win games that that's really being that's being disingenuous to them completely because uh, it's been impressive but it just seems very random at how they win the game what players step up and it it seems like a bit of a mystery when they're going to play well within the game or when they're going to play poorly sometimes it happens at the start sometimes it happens at the end France they've been able to step up at the right time of the game and I think they'll, they'll the same thing will happen in the game against Russia, where it's going to be close for a long time. France are going to make a gap, and I don't know if Russia can come back. Um, so I see I see France winning with a with a couple of goals. That's on Friday. We'll know by the next podcast whether we have four teams basically in the semi-finals or two groups that have been blown wide open. We don't know that, but we know one thing for sure: Brian Campion has some interesting stories to report and he's been keeping them to himself. Surely life in the bubble is a lot more interesting than just working in your hotel room 24-7. Yeah, well, I think the one which is making me cringe the most, I think happened 
uh, what day is today? I don't even know what day it is. This happened, I think, on Tuesday morning. So it's completely random here in the hotel in Colding when teams are going to be having meals. And sometimes you, some mornings you go down and everybody's there. All teams are there. And some mornings you go down, it's only one or two of them. And sometimes you go down, it's just yourself and the some referees and staff. But this morning was pretty packed. I was in a little bit later. I'm walking up, tired from the night before, getting my tray ready, a few bits of ham and cheese, bit of butter. I go get myself some cornflakes. I'm setting up my tray, get a knife and fork for some reason. I know what I need, a knife and fork for some ham and cheese and some butter and bread. But anyways, and then I realized I forgot my spoon. And then who walks past me, but it's only Christina Laszlo. And I've met Christina Laszlo before. I've actually went for drinks with Christina Laszlo there last year. And we seem to get on pretty well. And I said, How, oh, how's it going? Sleep well? She goes, yeah, slept fine. Great. A bit of small talk. And then I was walking away and I realized I had to go back right where she was standing again because I forgot the spoon for my lovely cornflakes. And I go, I, pick, I go to pick the spoon up and she turns around and she goes to take the spoon out of my hand. She thought I was getting the spoon for her because she just picked the ball up. She thought I was being a gentleman. But me being in my in my co- co- COVID mindset, I was like, oh, no, no, no. You're not touching my spoon. This is my spoon. So what I did was I said, no, 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 no. And I shoved my spoon in, <laughs> into the cornflakes. And she was like, what? And then in that moment, I had this like matrix moment where all my life flashed before my eyes. And I realized... She thought I was handing her the spoon because she just picked up a ball. She thought I was being a gentleman. And then I just continued to say, no, 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 as I walked away. And then I felt, <laughs> I felt, I felt like dropping the tray and walking straight out of the room. I was like, what did I just do? And then I put my tray down and I forgot I, I need some coffee. So I had to walk almost back over to where she was again. And she was standing there talking to one of her teammates. And I saw her teammates just constantly looking over at me. She told her teammate, that guy teased me with a spoon and then put into his cornflakes and just said no 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 and walked off so i just seemed like an absolute nutcase walk around the hotel so there you go so the moral of this story is if you're going to pick a spoon up always be a gentleman have you had a chance to make up for it yet i haven't seen her yet no i don't know what you say i'm sorry about the spoon do you know i was thinking from her perspective as well it's also a little bit weird i had a spoon in my hand she went to grab it and i'm like no no she's probably thinking god i'm trying to grab that guy's spoon it's all it's it's just a, it's just a it's a weird situation I, for everybody i think you should just leave a bunch of spoons outside her door yes. and walk off <laughs> just as a message yeah tell her i'm sorry although that could be interpreted as a threat it could be yeah in some in some other cultures it could be yeah on that bombshell, we leave it for another episode of the Uninformed Handball Hour. Enjoy the games on Friday, and we'll chat to you again on Sunday. Goodbye. <laughs>